this week's episode of the Fieldhouse Files, we're going back in Pacers history, back to the 2004 NBA playoffs, game two of the conference finals, Pacers-Pistons. I'll be joined by Pistons beat reporter James Edwards III, and then we'll finish it off with my interview with Lavoy Allen, who provides some much-needed humor while the game is on a hiatus. And welcome into another episode of the Fieldhouse Files. I'm Scott Agnes. Well, without games, without practices, without much news of any sort in terms of both the NBA and the Pacers, it gave us a good opportunity to go back and dissect a memorable game in Pacers history. We went back to the 2003-2004 season, the best year in NBA franchise history for the Pacers, 61 wins in Rick Carlisle's first year as head coach. It was a year in which J.O. finished third in MVP voting, a year that Ron Artest was voted Defensive Player of the Year, and the Pacers reached the conference finals after bowing out in the first round under Isaiah Thomas. And there in Game 2, it's the game we'll all remember here in Indiana as the Tayshon block game, right? Late in the game, Pacers down by 2, about 14 seconds left. They get the steal, ball thrown ahead to Reggie Miller, and he lays it up. And Tayshawn Prince catches up from about five yards behind him. A left-hander swats it away. And that basically closed the door on the Pacers' comeback for that game. They went 1-1 in the series and ultimately lost. The Pistons then went on to win the series and win the NBA championship. And months later, the brawl happened. So joining me on this podcast is James Edwards III, our Pistons beat reporter over on The Athletic. It was his idea to go back and rewatch this game. And I'll tell you what, it was difficult to do considering we're used to HD even 4K at this time. This was probably worse than even standard definition as we watched it online and the circumstances that go into it. One of the big highlights for me, I will say, was the intro leading into the game. We need more of that. Setting the tone, setting the drama, and the storylines for each game in terms of playoff games. So I enjoyed that um, as well. But let's get to it. Here's my conversation with James Edwards III about that Pacers-Pistons Game 2 of the Eastern Conference Finals, which was right here in Indianapolis at Bankers Life Fieldhouse, formerly known as Conseco Fieldhouse. All right, now I bring in James to discuss the story that we worked on. And uh, James, get started. You were the one that suggested this to both myself and Michael Lee uh, from the national perspective. It's obviously a game we all remember as the Tayshon block game. Was it as simple as that? Or what intrigued you about rewatching this as part of our uh, featured series over on The Athletic? Yeah, I mean, the the big kind of tipping point was Craig Custance, who's my managing editor in Detroit and also the NHL editor. He... Uh, did one kind of similar with the Capitals and, or not the Capitals, I think it was the Penguins and Red Wings, whatever year that was, he did a rewatchables with a classic game. And I thought, oh, that'd be cool. We all kind of have time to sit back and watch games. I'm sure like you, we missed, I missed basketball. Um, and I wanted to do kind of everybody, everybody when they do these things tends to go with like the big name franchises. I thought for the Midwest, um, this would be a fun game to do for both our markets because I think I would say at least in Detroit, aside from winning the title, this is probably the most memorable game. And I would say for you and your, and your market, Scott, too, um, for different reasons, it's a memorable game. And then I think nationally, uh, the Tayshawn block, uh, the fact that it was the Garen Sheed game, 
I think it could resonate with more outside of just mine and yours market too. Yeah, and you're not kidding about basketball being away. But I'll tell you what, the thing I think I miss the most is kind of the getting out and being around everyone because I was thinking about this. I don't have family or anyone I live with or whatever, so I'm by myself. I see the coaches and talk with those players more than anyone in my life during the season. <laughs> so it is so strange to kind of turn off that spigot, if you will, completely as everybody's gone dark essentially um, indefinitely. Right. Yeah, no, it's. I think that's part of it, the camaraderie um, that you get from kind of that routine of getting up, going to practice, going to a game, whatever, whatever. Um, you, you do miss that a little bit. Now, from the basketball side, um, I will not be upset if the NBA does not continue the regular season um, <laughs> as the team I cover is not very good, and it seems pointless to come back and have the Pistons finish off the season in the summer months. Yeah, that's there's one perk to covering a good team, and it's you have your summers off. And it, the NBA sounds like they want to take that away from me. If we assume that you have to have some kind of tune-up games for the postseason, it'll be interesting how they how they do it. Maybe what you do because there is a clear separation by four or five games from the eight and nine seed. Maybe what you do is just solely have tune-up games for those playoff teams and say, hey. The other teams, you know what, your season's over. We know you don't need to come back, don't want to come back. What's the point? That, that'll be interesting, and I'm hopeful that we'll eventually get to that point in June or July. Yeah, like I think there's a way to do it, whether it's um, they have the guys come back, the playoff teams come back for a training camp. So two weeks, they get two weeks to, to tune up and get ready, get back in the flow of things. Or even like you said, maybe you do something with the teams that are close to having the number one pick and or all the teams outside the playoffs and there's one game for, I don't know there's ways to do it I guess but I, this I think is what, training this camp is what we're left to talk about the most sense <laughs> because of all of this this is all we're kind of left to talk with and that's why we got into this re-watching story if you will and I'll tell you what even before the games there were several things striking to me about it it was game two of this 2004 Eastern Conference Finals P- Pacers Pistons and um, several things for one it's now Banker's Life Fieldhouse. Back then it was Conseco Fieldhouse. The yep. quality of the broadcast, we're watching it on a, a downloaded video, but how did we watch things like that back in the day? That's rough. Um, you had Reebok <laughs> on the uniforms, not Adidas, not Nike. Um, and Good then, call. Good y- call. Yeah, those little things were interesting to me. And then also the things only me and you care about, the former media seating used to be on the baseline, the first two rows. Well, that's completely gone, and now they are moved up to the club level. So there was those even before getting to the game were some striking differences. Oh, and by the way, you had Brad Nesler who we're used to calling college football. <laughs> he was the play-by-play man. Anything else stand out to you before the game? Yeah, I guess like you said, once you mentioned it in our discussion, like the TV quality was terrible. Um, and you kind of forget how far we've come in, I guess, even a short time. Um, Doc Rivers being on the call, obviously he's gone on to do great things as a coach. I think that, that was right before he took the Celtics job um, or right before he officially became, or I think he has already officially the Celtics coach, but they hadn't done the transition fully yet. He mm-hmm. was still calling the playoffs to see him. Um, it, it reminded me how good he was in that position. Um, I forgot, totally forgot that was the guaranteed game. They did a little intro promo video. Um, and obviously that was a highlight. So there were some things in there. You forget about guys like Jonathan Bender Um who I, I had his rookie card, and to see him out there chucking shots was fun. Um, you see, got you see Darko at the end of the bench. 
Um, it, it it was just a, uh, uh, I guess a blast or a blast down the past. What do they what do they call it? A blast to the past. Blast, blast from the past. Yeah, yeah, blast from the past. There it is. Yeah, and you obviously have such name players when you talk about both teams. For the Pacers, it's it's Reggie Miller, Jo, Ron Artest. I'm not calling him Meta World Peace because that's what he was here. Um, Pistons, you you have that core that was so strong. And the thing, James, that stood out to me too about all of this was this is the last team that won an NBA title without any kind of superstar, right? Now we're in the field where you need two, three all-NBA-type talent. You look at the Lakers, they probably have two top four, top five players on their roster. And this was a group that collectively got it done, and that's one of the things, while I didn't like this Detroit team, being a young kid, I respect them because of how they were able to get it done without that superstar to shoulder the load. They did it by committee. Yeah, and that's been their kind of claim to fame all these years. They, I mean, they they coined themselves the best five alive. Um, and, I mean, you can make the case. And like you said, there was no superstars. Rasheed Wallace was the closest. Um, and even his numbers dipped when he got to Detroit because the team had so was so well-balanced. Rip could score. Chauncey could score. Um, Tayshawn wasn't really a scorer yet, but there was guys that could score off the bench. You had O'Kerr. Uh, Corliss could get you buckets. Mike James could could put the ball in the hoop. So it was, it was a very deep team, a very unique team, I guess, in the sense that it was constructed perfectly. And it was kind of happened by mistake. I mean, I, I wouldn't assume that when Joe put that team together that he thought that team could win it all. Um, none of those guys had really shown anything other than Rashid, and they developed. It was the right place at the right time, and it worked. This was one of those games that wasn't necessarily fun to watch because of the the score, right? Like I, I remember writing down with two minutes left, James, there was 130 total points. Right, like this season, I'm used to the Wizards. You can almost count on their games to go to 230, 240, 250. So it was nothing like what we are used to seeing now. Um, and probably in the grand scheme of things, that's a big takeaway. The physicality that was allowed, and they continued on, and then the low-scoring affair that it was. Yeah, man, you watched that first quarter, and the Pistons couldn't buy a bucket, <laughs> and it was everything was off, block shots. Credit to both defenses. I mean, those are two of the best defensive teams um, for that time, and it, and it showed. I guess you made you miss how important defense was in the NBA at a point, um, and how bad offense was at times. You you saw so many guys turn down good three point looks to get a, a mid range jump shot, and that stuff would just be frowned upon nowadays. And that was something you bring up the three pointers. That was something you don't recognize in time, right? How how not useless, but how minimal of an impact the three point shot had back then. I remember towards the end of that game as we were watching, finally they went to Reggie for a corner three. He missed, then another one was thrown up in the final seconds as they needed a bucket. But outside of that, um, I didn't remember that part, and I also didn't remember in all this outside of the Tayshon block how significant of an impact the um you know the rim protection and blocks had in that game they kept flashing up you know how how many blocks there were in the game they ended up with 26 I don't think we're seeing that in today's game either no not at all and I mean both teams had beasts I mean we talk about the Wallace the Wallace combination um Jermaine O'Neal as you pointed out in our discussion like there was guys there that could protect the rim and took pride in it and that was I mean you know Ben made a borderline Hall of Fame career off that um, Jermaine O'Neal was a young guy who was one of the best at doing it, and it, it really manifested itself into an ugly basketball game where shots from di distance weren't falling and shots from up close really weren't falling.
So we did, basically did a roundtable. If you haven't checked it out, go over to theathletic.com and read that story that posted here this week. Um, one of the questions, one of the many things we answered was from this group, where did you, is there an MV, or excuse me, is there a Hall of Famer among this group? For the Pistons standpoint, you take this one. Out of this collective group, can there be a Hall of Famer? Because we don't have one yet. I mean, I, I think Ben deserves to be in. Four-time Defensive Player of the Year. I think Dikembe Mutombo is the only one to do it. Um, he was the anchor defensively of of a championship team and a team that went to six straight Eastern Conference Finals. I get it's not the most flashy uh, resume. Um, people had their differing, opinion, differing opinions on Ben. Uh, but for him to be that dominant defensively, being undersized for his position, I, I think he gets in. There's worse players in the – basketball hall of fame yeah the trouble with the basketball hall of fame is kind of their criteria right and the c- contributors some would argue why even have that right um right let's keep it strictly basketball maybe I, i'd even love having a discussion down the road about just an nba wing of the basketball hall of fame and everything um but ben's a tough sell i think just because of defense and and those there, there's nothing specific to highlight i feel like you know in terms of a highlight reel or you know, flashy numbers outside of maybe his rebounding because he was basically a double-figure rebounder throughout his career. It's a, it's a tough case, but I think it is one worth having. I think it's a little bit, I don't know, how many guys are in the hall just because of great offense? Like, I mean, if Harden gets in, it's definitely not because of his defense. You know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah. there's, there's two sides to the basketball floor, and he was dominant on one of them, and there's so many guys who were just dominant on one side of the floor that kind of get all the accolades and the praise. And I don't know, I this. I understand it. I get it. Um, but I, I think he to have four defensive player of the year titles, I think that, that should mm-hmm. push him over. That's I mean, that's rare air. No, that's a good point. It was four time all star um, five times all NBA as well as I'm looking it up here. So there's a lot more to it. I think that does help sell his case from the Pacers standpoint. They already have Reggie Miller in there. That's obvious and makes total sense. Um, the two names I brought up was Ron Artest and Jermaine O'Neal. I don't see Ron Artest getting in, although you could push again, kind of like you did a little bit um, defensively. And this season was the one where Ron Artest was the defensive player of the year and J.O. finished third uh, in the MVP balloting. But I, I think the biggest case could be for J.O., um, how significant of an impact he made on the Pacers during those, those big years. He was a six-time All-Star, uh, clearly the dominant player of that kind of first, I don't know, five years um, or so for the Pacers, really seven years um, going back. I think he's kind of that fringe all-star that, I, I don't know. What do you think? No, I mean, I'm I'm with you. Jermaine, um, or Ron, I think he has a case because he's won title. Uh, he has one title, right, with the Lakers? Yeah, where he thanked what? his, what, psychologist in the post-game interview? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> That's right? a classic. Yeah. Once. That was hilarious. Somebody needs to <laughs> revisit that moment. Um, yeah, one title, um, one all-star appearance, even though his numbers were, were solid after that one all-star appearance. That's a tough one. I like J.O. Um, he, he was a favorite player of mine growing up. He was one of the last to come out of high school, straight out of yep. high school, and do that and kind of sat the bench in Portland and then became a player in Indiana and then kind of bounced around a little bit at the end of his career. Yeah, I mean – he was a really good player. Again, there are worse players in the Hall of Fame, so the, the case could be made. Um, I think Reggie definitely, without question, should be in. And after that, I mean, you're kind of walking the same territory. 
Yeah. Not as I think Ben has a stronger case. I think Shanti has a little bit of a stronger case. Finals MVP, multiple All Stars. Um, but I think those guys have cases in their own right. I, 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 they could make they could they could lobby if they wanted to. And speaking of Chauncey, I'd be curious to see maybe how the next two, five, ten years impact his case, right? Because he continues in broadcasting, but does he want to go that front office route, which he's reportedly flirted with? And if he does that, does that positively impact? Um, what he's doing. It's a fun conversation to have, and that's why I was glad we included that question um, in all that. Uh, in this game, though, it, it was close throughout. Um, several things, by the way, that also stuck out to me, like Reggie pouring the chalk on his hands. Like Those are yeah. kind of the, the routines that I don't think we have as much anymore. LeBron, of course, um, has his thing. But one of the changing key moments late in the game um, – was a big block. I think it was Ben Wallace rejecting the shot of J.O. with about six minutes left. It was a tie game. Um, I thought that was, to me, that was the decisive point in the game because we saw Rip Hamilton, I think, rattle off six straight points, and then the Pacers never took the lead. Yeah, that that, that to me was very important. Um, again, defense, <laughs> they, they win championships. Yep. Apparently that's what they say. And, um, yeah, no, that, that – that defensive possession that the Pacers had that led to the Tayshaun block. I mean, like you said, there was a block and then um, Chauncey was stripped, um, which led to the Reggie Miller looking like he had an easy two points and Tayshaun caught him. That stretch was pivotal. I also thought the the first quarter, the Pistons bench brought them back in the game. It, it looked like it could have been a blowout. The, the starters were bad. Um, they could not get the ball in the hoop. Um, it was 15-6 when Rashid went out. Like fifteen, there was like a minute left in the first quarter, and the score was fifteen to six. That's still like ridiculous to me. And John, how John C. Billup was one for seven, and, and things that stand out also, I thought, was the fact how many times guys offensively would try to attack and, and try to like shoulder their way through the defense um, rather than kind of moving the ball. And the spacing isn't at all what we're used to nowadays. How surprising were some of those things to you? Um, it wasn't surprising just because I knew. I mean, watching the game then and, and being a part of it now and seeing how much it's evolved, you knew that's how the game was played then. Um, I guess just to watch it and see – I don't know what the right words are, but just to see how, I guess, even impactful that style of basketball was and how it could still lead to a championship um, probably baffled me the most. And, I mean, maybe in most cases that's not the case because that Lakers team that the Pistons beat were – obviously in a bit of disarray internally and stuff like that. Um, but, I mean, that was we, – we watched a game that we both – all three of us called ugly and not fun to watch <laughs> aside from it being a, technically a good game. But that was championship basketball that we were watching. Yeah, this is basically kind of your pitcher's duel. And if you like, like seeing yeah. that in baseball, then this was for you. If you don't care necessarily about those home runs and grand slams or, uh, you know, out of, out of the park – home run whatever um the thing that I keep coming back to is I would kind of like to see a little bit of this physicality allowed in today's game because now you you put a hand on a player I'm just not sure if it's possible now that we've gone so far one way right James and all this do you think there's any way we could see a combination of a little bit more defense being allowed so that some of that some of those other guys can shine a little bit on the other end yeah, I mean, I wish. I wish they brought back hand checking. Like, the, the if you're truly a great offensive player, you'll find a way to score. Um, it's been done in the past. Obviously, you look at people like Jordan, um, Kobe early on. I mean, Grant Hill. You can go down the list. 
uh, Reggie Miller. Um, there's ways to score the ball despite hand checking. I, I, I think it would make for a more entertaining game. Um, the physicality is, I think, what lost a lot of fans. The lack of physicality is what lost a lot of fans. I know the NBA is still thriving and all that. And flopping uh, but, goes into that a lot as well, right? Uh, yeah, yep, yep, and flopping as well. Um, but I, I think there is a way that they should look in, they, they should look into it because, like I said, I, when you talk to people who don't maybe pay attention to the NBA as much as they used to, that's part of the, the gripe is that the physicality from the game is gone. Um, and I understand that. I get that. That was one. Yeah, that was a big key point that we were obviously watching all that. Those, when you think back to the uh, Pacers Pistons, th- that rivalry, Michael Lee brought up, and his, I think it was his final point, or the what if if um, that block had not happened, is you never know then what happens with the brawl because the Pacers were dominating that game. This game was in what uh, late May. And the brawl happened in mid-November uh, where the Pacers, I think, were trying to assert themselves against the reigning champs because the Pistons obviously went on and handled the Lakers in the finals. You had that physicality. You had, uh, I think, what, Ben Wallace coming down on Ron Artest, and that led to everything that we know now as the brawl. That, To me, that's one of the great what-ifs. Um, should the Pacers have won that game too? Probably would have won the series, and maybe that November game is a little bit different. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think we all were in agreement that maybe even if the block didn't happen and Reggie Miller scored that two to tie it up, that the Pacers go on to win. That was, like you mentioned, a, a crazy crowd and um, low-scoring game. I, I think in, in those times, the edge went to the home team. Um, and it's playoff basketball, and that's been known to be true um, in most cases. So um, I, I, I agree. I think that was really a monumental turning point in the series to go back to Detroit with a with one-and-one. Um and it's tough to it's tough to beat the Pistons when you're going back there back to their place for two games, um, and they continue to build that that momentum. For me, uh, that yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say for me going back to that block because we hadn't touched on that enough yet. The fact that Tayshon was able to catch up with Reggie, and then I think it worked to his favor being a lefty coming over left to right from that left side. It just worked out big time with him and I felt like that was kind of for one to me that's his signature moment for his career but he was also just in year two so it was kind of his welcome to the NBA or take notice fans about who I am I think because obviously he was playing good defense before that but this is when maybe if anything you realize the type of impact that he was having yeah no I agree it was a um that play, I would, I can't recall then, but it was played back how many times probably on Sports Center and um, every different how outlet. Many angles and, and I think yeah. people understood that Tayshon was a good defender, obviously because the Pistons were a good team and he was a second year player in the starting lineup. But you couple that defensive play, you look at how he kind of stymied our test, um, and then you go into the the final series against the Lakers and how he performed it. I thought all those kind of that month, couple weeks right there. Uh, put Tayshon on the map, like you said. And if you're Reggie, that play, you were looking for your first title. So to me, if you're Reggie, that play would continue to haunt you. Um, I know, I think in recent interviews after that, he talked about, yeah, in hindsight, I wish I would have dunked it. Knowing him, it would have been a two-handed flush over the front of the rim. Wasn't a big dunker. (laughs) But, I mean, back then, you probably do feel comfortable enough. He had, what, a five-yard head start and, and laid it up. What I thought slowed him down, and I didn't mention this, was he kind of piddle paddled his feet if you will like slowed down made one more step than he needed to 
and that allowed the extra step, much like LeBron against what Iguodala uh, allowed him to come again. I think now that I think about it, left to right to block the shot. Yeah, no, you're right. It was that when you think you got too much time and you really don't have any time, and then you don't factor in guys' wingspan, um, all that stuff. He got caught, and Tayshon sprinted the whole way. Reggie slowed up just enough for that whatever his his wingspan was to catch him, and it was. I mean, it produced one of the greatest plays and at least recent NBA history. Uh, one other note I, I did find interesting is the fact that both coaches, you had Rick Carlisle for the Pacers and Larry Brown of the Pistons, both former Pacers head coaches. They came after one another uh, with the Pistons after their time with the Pacers. Um, I'm trying to think of any anything else noteworthy that came out of this game other than just kind of how because the Pistons were able to get that block, then hold off the Pacers, they went on to win the series, and, and the Pacers then had that brawl and were never able to get those years back and are still f- reaching that for that first title. Um, for the Pistons, i got to believe that's the highlight of what fans are talking about considering all these down years. Oh, yeah, of course. That's what people want to get back to um, it, in every which way to epitomize Detroit. Um, a gritty team, no stars, born afraid to be in your face, <laughs> the amazing defensive team. Um, personalities that people could get behind. I mean, I've, I've told this story before. I mean, Ben Wallace was a Halloween costume for a decade. Um, and <laughs> yeah. there's been nothing quite like that since then. And as soon as they traded Chauncey for Allen Iverson and um, what was it? Oh, seven, Oh eight. I think that's, that's when it all went downhill. They haven't won a playoff game since. Good deal, man. I appreciate you taking time here. Of course, I know we all have time. <laughs> That's the big joke right now is no one has any excuse to turn you down. But <laughs> I appreciate you kind of coming up with this idea and executing it and uh, wanted to jump on here as a for a podcast to kind of explain our reasoning a little bit more. So great work in Detroit. Keep it up, and uh, we'll be in touch. No, I appreciate it, man. Thank you for joining. I wanted to get your insight on it and bear right back at you, man. I enjoy your work and, and keep doing it. Well, I thought it turned out very well, so shout out to James for getting the ball rolling on that, and then myself and Michael contributing to it as well. You can check it out at theathletic.com, and we're now offering 90-day free trials on The Athletic, and that gives you access to everyone, whether it's Pacers, Colts, Indianapolis, your favorite baseball team, national writers, all of it's included. You can get it right now for 90 days for free, or if you know you want it, for at least a year. Sign up using our code and you can get 40% off the annual price at theathletic.com slash fieldhousefiles. To finish up this podcast, I'll take you back to a time earlier this season. We were in Oklahoma City, the Pacers playing the Thunder. No Paul George in this meeting, but Demonis Sabonis always shows up and plays well against the Thunder. But before the game, there's a familiar face sitting courtside watching warm-ups about an hour before the game it was Lavoy Allen the big teddy bear as I always think of him it's just such a friendly nice guy um, I always think back to his time with the Pacers now he played a smaller role with the team right off the bench but in his contributions what he did so well was rebounding and so he even had that tremendous quote that both Larry Bird and Frank Vogel used to get in talking about rebounding Lavoy will get it well, Lavoy was there sitting courtside to watch his former team. He's now living in Dallas. And before the game, I was able to talk with him. Here's our conversation. So living in Dallas, what are you? What keeps you busy? Just the kids? Yeah, yeah, I got three kids, seven and uh, twin four-year-olds, uh, all boys. So full of energy, keeps me busy all day. 
What kind of things are they into right now? Is it is it like Paw Patrol and and that type of thing? Sports. They're actually into video games now. They all have iPads, so most you of the time, they, yeah, yeah, I gave it just just so they'll get out of my face a little bit. Yeah, so they're real into uh, video games. My my son, he's he's a big Mario Kart fan, but I, I, I still beat him every time. I try to keep him humble, you know what I'm saying? Most people will try to you know lose to their kids every now and then. You nah, don't let him win. Nah, hell no. Uh, yeah, so. <laughs> so yeah, that's about it. Yeah. Is it tough kind of being away from basketball like you are now? Yeah. How, how, how did that hit you? Oh, man, like a bag of bricks. It's just, yeah, I mean, just, just being around the game since middle school, you know, is just... And not being able to play, uh, it's, it's, it's tough. But um, no, I'm trying to find a way to get through it, and I, I might make a return one day. You know, once I get my body right. Does that mean you have an injury, or you're just kind of out of shape? It, it means I'm old. <laughs> uh, I have this thing called arthritis, which yeah. happens to people twice my age, but it hit me a little early on. So that's something I'm battling with, and uh, you know, maybe. Once I get once I get it right, you know, I'll try to, you know, make a little comeback. Do you consider going overseas? Were there any opportunities there? We saw Big Al go overseas for half a year. <laughs> then he got tired of it. I was I was thinking about it, but um, I got three kids. Yeah. My, my wife, she doesn't really want to move them to a whole different country, so... Uh, I kind of turned that down. I'm not really interested in doing that right now. So you said you had an exchange student living with you. How did how did that opportunity come about in terms of? Yeah, you could sound, you weren't looking for it, right? It just kind of happened. Well, our neighbor, who my my wife is good friends with, um, they did it a couple years ago, and she thought it would be a fun idea, you know, to get into it. So this year, you know, one of the students fell into her hands, and you know, she took the opportunity. So. And right now it's going well. Uh, she's 16. She's from uh, Macedonia. You know, we got three boys, so I thought it'd be pretty cool, you know, having to trying to trying to daughter out, you know, just in case you want to go for a daughter in the future. You know what I'm saying? So uh, it's pretty cool, you know. She's she's low maintenance, just like me, so helps out around the house. You know, keeps to herself. So it's going it's going well so far. Have you learned anything about that next phase, I guess, for your kids, or has she taught you anything different? Well, I mean, it's going to be different. Uh, teen boys and teen girls are going to be different. Right. So, no, I can't. I can't really say I've learned anything. But is she allowed to go on dates? She, uh, she is. Okay. She actually had a friend over to uh, to our house, you know. But I greeted him at the door with a baseball bat, so just, <laughs> just to you know let him know what the of deal course. was. So he, he hung out the, at the house for a couple hours. And uh, she went over his house for a couple hours, but he seems like a real good kid. He's into basketball. And, uh, yeah, so, so me and him hit it off a little bit. What brings you here? Is it just to see kind of your old franchise? Yeah, well. Uh, Although there's so much changeover. I don't know how many guys you might know other than maybe Miles. It is a big change. I think Miles, Miles I played with Justin Holiday in Philly a little bit. Uh, so I, I know the holidays from Drew, you know. Uh, yeah. Aaron Holiday used to come to our games back in, when he was in high school, so I know him a little bit. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping uh, Thunder won my 39. <laughs>
<laughs> do you still connect with people in the league? Do you have friends still playing in the league that you're close with? Or you kind of separated it a little bit and moved on? I don't have any friends at all. Not in the league, nope. not in regular life. Not at all. No friends at all. Just my wife. My wife is my only friend. And my kids, I guess. But, but they can be douchebags sometimes. So <laughs> only sometimes we're friends. No, um, I don't really talk to many guys in the league. I, nope. I don't. I've always been the type that's like, ah, I don't want to be a burden to anybody. So, you know, when I see you, I talk to you, you know. But you always got along with everyone so well. I did. I did. I'm, I'm an easy guy to get along with. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I might talk to guys on social media every now and then, but I don't I don't, I don't like to really bother people that much. Did you think about what's next at all during your career? Were you one of those guys that tried to think ahead, or did you just try to keep your mind focused on basketball completely? Well, I... I kind of had an original plan before I even made it to the NBA, which, I, which was my backup plan, uh, Calvin Klein model. So I'm trying to get into that a little bit. You know, if that don't work out, then I can always find a McDonald's, a Burger King, In-N-Out, something to, you know, to work at. Isn't it Whataburger in Texas? Whataburger, yeah. I'm not a big fan of Whataburger, but... What do you think will be next, or have you given it much thought? Business guy, entrepreneur, mantra, clothing line, I don't know. You're not a rapper. Sit at home. Eat away. Eat away my sorrows, yeah. Be a dad. Or is it just being a dad? Chill on the couch, you know, just watching Netflix, watching Disney Plus. That's about it. That's as far as I got. I haven't thought ahead of that. Did you ever think about getting into coaching or broadcasting? A lot of guys do. Was that ever a consideration for you? Broadcasting, not so much. I can't just sit there and just, like, talk basketball. You're too playful, too joking. Yeah, it'll be be a shit show. No, I can't. Can I say that? No. Yeah, you can. Okay, it'll be a shit show. Um, Coaching, I might try to, you know, my first thought was probably, like, scouting. Yeah. Try to get into that a little bit. That way, I can still travel. I don't. Fair gotta... warning. That's worse travel than everything else. So. Oh, it's worse travel. Unless like... you stay in a region. Yes. All right. Scratch. <laughs> scratch that. Scratch that. Um, maybe you know. Be a ball boy for a team. I, I don't know. Done be an equ- equipment manager. When you watch a game, how are you watching? I mean, what I mean by that is, are you like thinking with basketball, like going through the plays, or are you just casually enjoying it? I've always wondered that with guys. Uh, right now, casually enjoying it. No. Okay. Every now and then, I might like curse out one of the guys, even though they can't hear me. But I'll, I'll watch on like NBA League Pass or something, so I'm cursing at my iPad. But uh, yeah, I just like to sit back and enjoy it nowadays. When you think back to your time with the Pacers, is there anything in particular that stands out to you about whether it was the locker rooms or the success you guys had during some of those years? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I disliked all of it. Players, coaches, media, fans. Especially media. Especially media. You know, both, I mean, both for the Sixers and the Pacers, just I enjoyed basketball together, you know. Hands down, you know, no matter how much, you know, players complain or whatever, playing in the NBA is the greatest job ever. I wish they would pay the G League more, but playing in the NBA is hands down the greatest job ever. You know, regardless of how much you're getting paid. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, just just enjoying basketball, enjoying just being in in an arena, playing in front of thousands of people, you know. Yeah, so... 
Yeah. So your message to current players is don't take this for granted. Like, oh, not at soak all. it up. And you hear it, you hear it all the time from like the old, like the older players. But like, yeah. when you're like semi-retired at 30, like it, it definitely hits you kind of hard. It's like, I should de- I should definitely still be out there, but. You know. Does it make you wonder about the kind of the era of the big men? Because we saw the same thing with Roy get phased out a little bit mm-hmm. before he was even thirty. Yeah, I kind of didn't go with the you know with the curve. Trend, yeah. Bit. yeah, but uh, yeah, you know that sucks. Maybe one day you know they'll start to turn back the other way and big men are you know start to become more useful in the league. But you know that's my fault. I, I didn't go with the trend, so yeah. I don't want to blame myself. Lavoy is always an interesting guy to talk to, and I thought some of his answers would provide us some kind of nice comic relief, some nice humor in a time that we could really use it right now. I hope you're listening to this home safe, perhaps with your family uh, staying home and uh, following the rules here. We'll continue to be producing content on The Athletic and here with the Fieldhouse Files. That will do it for this episode. If you'd like to participate in a live chat I am doing, that'll be Friday at noon Eastern Time answering all of your Pacers questions. That's it for this episode of the Fieldhouse Files, and I'll talk to you again soon.